Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the audio podcast of the Practice Manager webinar recorded on Wednesday the 23rd. Thank you. Um, So we come to an end of um, a challenging year, a dreadful year, um, whatever you might uh, call it. You know, we can we can look back and see um, where we are now. And, you know, I would just say to people that um, it is quite worrying looking at the rising levels of COVID in our communities. When you look at the data, it's uh, the, the numbers are increasing significantly. So um, they now have gone beyond they were in wave one. Um, when you look at what's going on in your practices, you can see that you're busy both in terms of non-COVID work, the COVID work, plus the start of the vaccination program. So the first thing to say is there's a real challenge ahead, um, but I look forward to the new year with optimism because I think the, there are things in place now which will help with the battle against it, but I wouldn't for uh, any stretch of the imagine, imagination believe it's gonna be easy or quick. Um, I, I would just like to reiterate what people have said uh, repeatedly, which is this year has really shown general practice at its best. We all knew that give us a challenge and we will rise to it and we will meet it head on. The general practice response and wider primary care over the last nine months has been uh, nothing short of uh, spectacular. Not unexpected because every time there's a challenge, general practice will question some things, but it will rise to the challenge. And certainly if you look at what we've done in wave two and then through the summer into wave, uh, sorry, wave one into wave two, and then now what we're coping with, um, general practice is um, not only the cornerstone, the foundation stone, but um, if we uh, don't look after general practice, and I mean we by the broader we than we as practice managers and those that work in primary care, the rest of the health service has got no chance of surviving. So, you know, it is, it is a really challenging time. Um, and I keep telling to people, please, could you just not focus on the number of ITU beds and the number of hospital beds, uh, because there are far more people out in the community who aren't going into hospitals uh, who are being looked after by general practice. So a big well done to everybody, um, and particularly well done to practice managers. Um, you know, you're the one that needs to organise the GPs and organise the other staff, and often don't get the credit you deserve. But you know, none of this would happen. Um, without the clinicians being able to be on one end, but actually without the practice managers organizing and sorting out all those problems. Um, I'd also reflect, I think the relationship with our CCG colleagues, with the community and the acute have have never been bad locally. They've actually been pretty good, but I would also say our CCG colleagues have really gone above and beyond to try and support general practice and to deliver the vaccine and other stuff. And one of the things I think we need to maintain as we come out of this over the next few months is that constructive solution focused relationship rather than going back to a more sort of bean counting tick box. You know, the system says you've got to do this, so please do it. So there's, there's lots of positive things. Um, when I look around uh, at other areas, um, you know, we've set up the vaccination services, you're delivering, um, and the limitation is well, one is the amount of vaccine we can get, and second is clearly the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine is not as flexible as we hope the AstraZeneca one will be. But if I look across both the Southwest and Southeast, we have got far better coverage in our community sites and the number of people we're vaccinating than other areas. And that is a bit of a frustration in the sense of when we're trying to pull down more vaccine, 
um, we're being told, well, you know, you can't set up your large centres because we need the vaccine um, in other areas and you're further ahead than they are. Well, we can do we can do more if we are given the vaccine when you need it and want it rather than in this rather sporadic way. But hopefully when the AstraZeneca one comes on, that will make it much easier to manage. Um, we've been asked to focus on the over 80s, the care home staff, and then the care home and uh, frontline health and social care workers. In all our systems, um, we haven't got the numbers of hospitals up and running with vaccination. So if you just take Hampshire, for example, we've got one hospital site, but 36 community sites. And one of the challenges there is we're pulling people into the hospital who are over 80 to be vaccinated when we should be doing those in the community. So over the next uh, little while, there will be a greater focus on, on vaccinating frontline health workers. So if you've got your vaccine, and particularly I'll talk about the sixth dose in a minute, but it would be really helpful if you could look at your community staff or even some of our acute hospital staff who are at huge risk but not getting the vaccine, that we can save some of our doses, even if you're taking the sixth dose out. So for a pack of 195 vaccines, you might have another additional 150 doses that we use some of that or all of the 150 on frontline primary care staff, our community staff colleagues and hospitals. So, you know, frontline work is really important that we get those covered because actually if we end up with lots of our staff, the community staff and hospital staff going off with COVID, whatever else we do and try and fight this um, virus, we're going to really struggle. Um, the sixth dose has been lots of discussion about it, but hopefully you're all clear now that you can take a sixth dose out of a vial if there is sufficient volume in there. What you shouldn't be doing is getting the absolute dregs or going into a second vial to extract a bit more. If there's enough volume in there to take six dose, take the additional dose and use that. Three weeks time, you will get another batch to do and you'll get some more vials, which you can probably take six doses out. If you don't have enough, then what we'll do is we'll work with the larger sites or the hospital sites or other local sites in three weeks time to ensure that everybody gets the second vaccine. Although I see in the news today, there is an even question whether we might be doing a second vaccination because there is some emerging evidence that one vaccine gives you pretty good protection. But at the moment, I think that's all speculation and I know no more than you do having uh, read the news. Um, the AZ vaccine, we're not sure when it will be licensed, when it will come. Again, in the papers, they're suggesting that it will be licensed next week. Uh, we'll wait and see uh, what, what will happen with that. Um, so I've talked about that. I've talked about that. Um, also, just to sort of mention the COVID wards, the oximetry at home seems to be going well across most areas. Uh, again, with the number of COVID patients increasing, the number of people on the ward is increasing, but it is actually saving lives. And there's good evidence that it's helping managing the patients more effectively. So probably, Louise, I will stop there. As, as usual, I could go on for another half an hour, but probably better to stop and I'll answer questions now or later. Well, interestingly enough, there aren't any questions today. There was just one on the lateral flow. Um, but we're going to, we're going to, going to do that. We are going to cover we're going that. To talk to yeah. Yeah. And Dawn's already put an answer in, in the question. So actually, at the moment, Nigel, there aren't any coming in. Carol, sorry. Sorry, it's, it's just that we do have 
a little bit of information to add and um, Michelle is the one that's going to be able to give you what we hope is good news. So I'll pass to Michelle now. Actually, before you come on, Michelle, can I just say one other thing? I, I, on my list, I forgot was commu- uh, care homes. So you you will have received a letter, hopefully, which is that what you're going to talk about? Is that what you're going to talk about? Uh, yeah, you carry on. Okay. So there's a real national push to, to get into the care homes, particularly the large care homes. So what, what has been agreed nationally is that if you start your first vaccination before the 10th of January and you do your second one before the 31st of January, there's an additional £10 per dose going to be made available because of the difficulties with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine that probably won't be there financially when the AstraZeneca one comes out. So um, if uh, th- there are a number of sites which have uh, said they want the 75-dose the boxes to come out, there are some logistic challenges in terms of getting freezers, the cool bags, the um, ice blocks that you're going to need, but all that should be sortable. So if you're going to, if you've got care homes that, that with the staff and the residents are more than 75, then please talk to your primary care lead. Is that what you're going to say or have I got it wrong? No, I, there's just a couple of bits just to add to that. So it... Um, doesn't apply to housebound patients. It is only care home residents and also the staff, which is positive. Um, and the reason the housebound are not um, included because they anticipate that the AstraZeneca will come on board shortly and, and can actually revert to that delivery model. Um, the other um, thing just to add is that where there are exceptional circumstances, so if you can only give one dose, um, as identified uh, within the enhanced service, there are reasons why that might be. So for example, the patient might have moved area or sadly the patient's passed away. Then actually, as long as you give the first dose before the 10th of January, you're entitled to get this supplementary payment um, as long as you meet the exceptional circumstances. Thanks, Michelle. Nigel, there is one question just about the sixth dose. Yeah, so Sarah, you're right. The PGD currently only covers five doses. So what we said over the weekend, having had some national discussion is that to give the six dose, you either do it as a prescriber, so you do it under the prescribing regulations, or you have to write a PSD for that one dose. We are expecting the PGD to be updated, and it was due to be released on Monday, but it didn't come out. And then we were expecting Tuesday, it didn't come out, and it hasn't come out so far today. And actually, the other reflection is the national protocol, which came out on Friday, for um, which gives you a bit more flexibility, and you can split the drawing up from the administering is probably of limited benefit um, because the clinician still has to draw up and um, consent the patient. Many um, sites are still going ahead with a quite a heavy um, lead clinical model. We hope that with the AstraZeneca vaccine, the national protocol that will come out that will give us greater flexibility. Currently, that protocol really is aimed more, the Pfizer-BioNTech one is aimed more at a large vaccination site where you might have four or five pods with somebody drawing it up and then giving it to others, probably less useful for practices, although you might wish to use it. Thank you, Nigel. Um, Michelle, did you want to talk a little bit more about the lateral flow tests? Yeah, it was really just to highlight that this is a voluntary um, option for practices, but to say that actually you need to make sure that if you want to do this, you need to get your orders in before Wednesday, the 30th of December. Um, As I said, it's voluntary, but um, there is a statutory requirement to report all results, including negative, positive and void results 
on the appropriate um, on the appropriate uh, software. I know that I think somebody's asked about when they can roll. When can we start rolling these out? In the information we've received, we believe that it will be rolled out um, from early January. Um, I think that's correct. I don't think there's any other information that I'm aware of. And just to say, you'll get one box per member of patient-facing staff, and there's 25 lateral flow tests, which is enough for 12 weeks. Thank you, Michelle. That's great. Um, Lisa, I think we were going to talk a little bit about PPE. Thanks, Louise. Um, this was just to confirm for people that claims for um, PPE purchased between 27th of February and 30, 31st of December this year can be, still be claimed for as long as it was ordered in line with the PHE guidance list. Um, reimbursement is via your CCG um, with payment based on a submitted claim. Um, the claims window closes on the 5th of February, so the CCG should be letting you know what the process is if you don't already know, if they haven't already been in touch. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Um, I think we're just because there's a, quite a few um, comments coming in now, just a little bit about the last couple of things we've been talking about. Um, Michelle, the lateral flow tests, um, have all the invitations come out because we haven't received ours yet? Do you know what's happening with that? I thought I thought they had. However, I think it might be in, being managed by PCSE from what I can gather. So um, we need to find which email address that would have been sent to. There's, there's been a letter sent to every practice. And if you look at the letter I sent out last week, the contact details are in there. And please don't use the lateral flow test on diagnosing patients. It is there as a screening tool for your frontline staff. Nigel, are reception and admin staff counted? Um, if as they are patient-facing, yes. So if they're seeing patients face-to-face -face and they're risk, if they're up in an office at the top of your building and never see patients, then no. Okay. Um, so we're going on. So the appropriate software, is this for the staff to do or for us as their employer for lateral flow tests? Ours may be delivered next week, so need to make sure we inform the staff when we hand them out. There's instructions, so follow the instructions. It'll come with it. We'll tell you what to do. Okay, it looks like PCSE are contacting people. Um, do we know if we can use the lateral flow testing kits for non-patient-facing staff? I think we've already talked about that. Is there any scope in the future for lateral flow testing to be given to non-patient-facing staff too? What's the point? What, what are you trying to achieve? Um... Non-patient staff are in the same vicinity as patient-facing staff and have lots of contacts. So I suppose the nervousness is it's just going to so, go around the whole surgery, I suppose. So you should be in a COVID-secure environment. You should be wearing face masks. You should be keeping social distance. So there shouldn't be a risk. So, you know, you've got to put those mechanisms in place. So at the moment, you know, they're, they're trying to do lateral flow testing in schools and everything else. I don't think... They've got this, you know, the numbers that they're, I think you've got to, you've got to ask the question, why would you want to do it? And I think, um, you know, you, you, we need to use the control measures uh, uh, as important, if not more important than just testing people, particularly with this new variant virus, which is everywhere. You know, it is much more infectious. So it's, you know, to say it's more important sort of under, uh, underestimates what it was before. But, you know, it's really critical that, that people do, have the social distancing, the wearing of masks, the hand washing, the gels, and it's probably worth as practice managers just reinforcing that. Yeah, what about, sorry, 
It's always just I'm saying Public Health England um, put out some information about three weeks ago to say that the biggest problem in general practice was where staff went and sat and had coffee together. I think we've mentioned this before and, and thought that that was acceptable. Unfortunately, it's not. We've all got to be a little bit pariahs at the moment. So you can have coffee together, but you've got to keep social distancing and wear face masks, not while you're drinking your coffee, but in and out of and not in a small room or um, a poorly ventilated one. Um, should we be, sorry, can I just, I think there was a question about who records the result. I, I'm not sure if anyone's touched on that. So just to say it's on an NHS digital platform within the SOP, it talks through what the individual member of staff has to do. So it's the, in, it's the staff member's responsibility to do that, to record the result. Thank you, Michelle. Um, should you be doing lateral flow testing for marshals at COVID vaccinations? This would be a one-off, um, but they're face-to-face -face with a 1,000-plus patients. No, I don't think so at this point in time. I think you just that you won't get enough supplies. Just do, start off with your frontline clinicians and your patient-facing staff who you think are at risk. Okay, thank you. Um, Lisa, did you have some more to talk about coding? Yes, I was going to just talk about the problems between um, farm outcomes and the data transfer to EMIS. Um, so EMIS and NHSD are deploying a fix, which will auto-ingest code of vaccine data into the patient record. That's expected in January. In the meantime, practices advise that they should leave their PDF in the workflow. You can clear, but don't file so it doesn't clog, clog up your work file workflow rather, sorry. If you do file, you need to code and follow the advice from EMIS um, on key qualifiers that need to be added manually. Um, further comms and guidance are expected in the next sort of 24 to 48 hours. As it's probably also worth saying that uh, when you're booking your clinics, you can now use AccuRx and AccuBook. So they've gone live for practices to use. Thanks, Nigel. Um, I think we've got some slides now. So Giselle, are you able to share your screen, please? So we can just got a few. We've just got a few slides for bullet points, really for your reference more than anything else. We won't be going through all the details um, on these slides. Um, and Michelle's going to start off with um, looking at the um, some COF details. So we've received quite a few queries from practices, particularly around the COF um, uh, COVID adjustments and we thought it would be useful just to pop up this slide as a reminder. The BMA did a really helpful um, a sheet of A4 which described the things that practices and the adjustments that are being made um, and as you can see there's uh, five areas that they've included information on. The slides I believe will be with our webinar so the links that are on these pages you will be able to access. So just to quickly run through them, the income protected indicators so there are 310 points um, that have been protected. I'm going to come on to shortly a couple of actions that are associated with those. But just to highlight that the points, um, the payment and the points will be based on historical achievement from 1819. They are asking um, practice to make efforts to deliver against these indicators where it's clinically appropriate. And I'm, I'll come on to shortly about the uh, two actions. Quality improvement points, they continue to be at 74 points. However, they have been simplified and these will focus on learning disabilities and early co uh, cancer diagnoses. Um, immunisation and screening, um, as you will see, these points have doubled because it's the, um, the importance of these and they both focus on flu vaccination and cervical screening. 
Disease registers and prescribing indicators haven't changed. So disease registers, the points are the same and the um, requirements are so to maintain your disease registers. And then prescribing indicators, again, no change. And I believe there are eight um, indicators that you need to look at there. Next slide. Thanks, Giselle. So we just wanted to really um, highlight the um, two actions that were associated with the QOF income protection. And the first one was to agree a plan for the QOF population stratification with the commissioner during October and November. And our CCGs have um, done this in slightly different ways. There's no um, uh, consistent approach. So it's just to highlight that there is a, a, an action there for practices. If practices haven't done it and need some support with that, then please do let us know. I think we can pop a template that one of our practices have shared with us that can help um, pull that together. The other part of this is the EDEC that's required um, for uh, quaff protection. And it's asking you, it's a yes, no answer. And we believe it's, it basically is asking, have you agreed your plan and implemented it? Um, and that's a requirement I believe that needs to be completed by um, the end of December. And that's it. And we'll just come on to Carol in a minute and um, she'll have a look whiz through some CQC information for you. So if you can just share your slides again, please, Giselle, that would be really helpful. Um, what we um, wanted to really highlight to you was, uh, was about the telephone calls that are coming through. Um, so although we've put a lot of information around um, the, the actual questions that are going to be asked, they're all laid out for you in these slides, so you can have a look at them later. But the main thing is that when they organise that call with you, they won't ask you for anything so basically, they're not going to ask you any uh, particular information or ask you for any evidence. However, if you decide to submit evidence based on those questions prior to your phone call, we pretty well can guarantee that your phone call will go down from something like two to two and a half hours down to even half an hour to an hour. And not only that, but because you'll have submitted a lot of evidence, um, it's likely that you can have less people on the call and therefore it will help with your capacity. So I just wanted to raise this so that you'd be aware that it's up to you. It's not mandatory. You don't have to submit. But it just seems to me if you put in that little bit of effort before the call, it actually might save you a lot of um, angst in, in the long term. And that's all I really wanted to say. So if there's any more slides, Giselle, for CQC, they can go. Um, but they will be up there for you um, on, the, on the podcast FAQs. Lovely. Carol, you were going to say something else about drugs. Yeah, this was when we, we were searching around for some good news for you. Um, and, and this was before we knew about the additional £10 for the care homes. So this was the best I could come up with. So please don't shoot me. Um, the, do you remember last year we kept talking about the falsified medicines di directive where you were all going to have to um, scan barcodes of all the medication and you prescribe and goodness knows what else well brexit's done one thing for us it's got rid of that that was going to be the only bit of good news um but hopefully we've got a bit more now with the with the extra 10 pounds that's all i wanted to say that's marvelous news thank you so much carol um i think that's really sad if that's, that's the best you can do about it, you need, well, nigel you're not exactly a bundle of laughs are you come I on no you're not that's not very nice <laughs> okay i think we might mute you both 
Right. I think Lisa, I think we'll go on to a little bit of sensitivity here. Um, you're talking about the ARRS claims. So just a reminder about the new claims process for ARRS um, as of 17th of December. Uh, there is a claims portal. Um, PCM needs to submit a mandatory claim um, for approval. It should be quicker and it should be easier. You can resubmit claims um, from previous months if there's been no change. Um, the NHS Futures platform has more details, including a video guide and some FAQs. Thank you, Lisa. Um, and actually, people think it is good news, what Carol's news was, because it's good news for dispensing practices. So there we go. Thank you very much, dispensing practices. You're my favourite. Yes, Debbie, thank Ooh. you. That's a, save, save the situation there, I think. Um, I think we just got a couple more slides to finish. We've got 250 complaints from non-dispensing practices. <laughs> yeah, but they all know that they're my favourites. Everybody's my favourite. Actually, Louise, I do have to say, I do have one more um, item that... Um, Dawn has alerted me to just recently. Would you mind if we just do that before we share your slide? Yeah, do you want to just uh, stop sharing then, um, Giselle, and we'll go back to Carol. Sorry, no, thank you. This is, this is a CAS alert that has just come in, and it's to do with um, using volunteers and using other staff for um, the COVID situation. So basically, I think we've already known this, that any clinicians that do vaccines for you, for COVID, for your patients, they will be covered under the CNSGP uh, indemnity. However, St John's Ambulance have been commissioned by NHS England to also provide people to work. Um, and some of them will be vaccinated, some of them will just be volunteers. Whatever they are, if they come through St John's, the indemnity will be covered by St John's own liability insurance. Now, as you know, we've got workforce centres set up that you can go to and say, actually, I could do with a nurse, I could do with a doctor, I need people. If you go through the workforce centres and take people on to help you, CNSGP will cover them for their indemnity. If somebody comes directly to you and in the reclinician, absolutely fine, CNSGP. This is where they come to you and they're volunteers. If you have somebody comes to you and you take them on as a practice, as a volunteer, you have to organise their indemnity. So you need to get in touch with your public liability insurance people to make sure that any volunteers that do volunteer work for you, non-clinical, will be covered. I hope that's clear. I will try and write that up better, but it only came in a few minutes before we started the podcast. Thank you. That's oh, really helpful. I haven't missed anything. Michelle, did you want to come in there? I'm just going to say it's non-clinical volunteers. Non-clinical, I said, yeah. Yeah. Lovely. So we will, as I say, we'll write that up and put that on the FAQs or possibly at a slide. Um, so you've got that really clearly for you. Um, Giselle, can we go back to those last couple of slides, please? I just wanted to share this. This is something part of the um, co coaching and primary care support that NHS England have been giving um, primary care staff. Um, there's a wellbeing survey that NHS England would like you to complete. It's part of the Institute for Employment Studies. It only takes 15 minutes. This came into me and we've been discussing it as a team. Do you have time to fill out another survey? I'm sure you would say no. 
All I would say is, and all we have discussed is, it might be really helpful. They last did a survey in April. They're really keen to know how primary care staff feel. So if you have got the energy to fill this out, you and your team, it would be fantastic if you wouldn't, be, if you wouldn't mind doing that. We'll put the link out. We'll, we'll share the information. But it's all about how are you feeling at the moment? And it's kind of one of those situations where unless we tell NHS England how primary care are feeling, they're not going to know. And they might assume everybody's fine and everybody's absolutely fine, very robust and very resilient and actually you might not that might not be how you are feeling so if you're able to complete that that would be lovely and if you don't mind going to the next slide please yourself that would be really helpful you may have heard us talk before about the hashtag looking after your um your looking after you too which is the first coaching offer that's free for all in primary care they've just expanded that so it's now looking after your team so this is tailored support you can read that um basically to encourage you to be able to support your teams which i think is a really fantastic offer so if you or your team leaders anybody who's managing staff within your practice would like some assistance to try and increase resilience um supporting managed individuals during this time please take advantage of this offer. It's just been launched. So the looking after you too is the individual coaching. Looking after your team is for you if you're managing a group of people. All I would say is it's free. It's only for um, primary care staff. It's completely confidential. Um, you can refer yourself and I can give you any more details if you like, but that's just two things that might be something that might be useful for you to offer um, as people. Um, it's difficult for you to support your teams um, because it's just hard to, hard to find the skills and the time to do this really as, as some individuals are needing, but there's support out there for you. So I would encourage you to use that. So thank you, Giselle. Next slide, please. Lovely, that was just us saying happy Christmas. Um, so if you could just shot, stop sharing the screen now, Giselle, that's fantastic. We've just got one thing, Carol, um, about insurers and volunteers. I don't know whether you can see that. That's just a sort of I think, point of information. I mean, if, you know, uh, Carol, you're right. And in fact, we use Towergate here at the LMC, so we're well aware of that. If you find that um, your insurers won't do it, all I could suggest is that you get your volunteer to sign on to the workforce hub for your area and then request that they get placed with you. It's, it's a bit of a long-winded way, but it is a way around. So all I would say is happy Christmas to everybody. We are here. We are here to support you. Thank you for engaging with us over the last X months as we've been doing these. We will carry on doing these. The next one is 6th of January, but we're here um, all over the uh, Christmas period. There'll be somebody in the office to answer queries for you. So please don't feel we're abandoning you in any sense. Um, thank you, Debbie. We've enjoyed it. And happy Christmas to everybody. And um, have a good festive period. Try and have a good break. And we will see you all again in the new year. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa, Michelle, Dawn, Carol, Nigel and Giselle from behind the scenes. It's been um, it's been good. And we'll see you again soon. OK, thank you. Have a Christmas, everybody. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.